Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. All right, well, I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in here, people. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name for your help that the Word of God would be alive and active tonight, that you would speak to us and give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation so that as we study your Word, things would jump off the page, that we would know you better, we would see your purposes and who you are more clearly. We ask you, Holy Spirit, for your help. Extend grace tonight for us as we look at the Word and study it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think uh, notes have been passed around. We've got copies available online as well. If you'd like a digital copy, go to the uh, to tprdfw.com and click on recent teachings, uh, and uh, you can find tonight's notes. This is um, Book of Revelation, our study that we're doing, which is a topical study. A lot of times when you would study a book of the Bible, you would go verse by verse. We're going theme by theme through the book of Revelation, and we're covering a, a wide variety of subjects in the book because so many of the concepts that are in the book of Revelation, they're not found in just one spot in one passage. They're all throughout the book. And so uh, we've been doing this now for a while. Uh, The session tonight is entitled The Doctrine of Hell. And this is not new info, I know. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at the development of the doctrine of hell in the book of Revelation. It's surprising how much is actually in the book of Revelation about this subject. It's surprising how much of what we know and believe and what we, uh, if anybody asked you about hell, how much of what you would quote that actually comes from the book of Revelation. And so we're going to look at a few other passages as well to kind of help fill in the gaps uh, as we've been doing in this whole study. But uh, tonight what we're going to be doing is developing or, or rather seeing what the word of God in the book of Revelation tells us uh, related to the subject of hell and what is it, why is it there, what's going on there, and what's its future. So first point I want to make is uh, just the reality of it. It's a real place. Uh, We think about um, heaven and hell sometimes in a very wrong sense. We think of them as mystical places that aren't really real, but they're kind of real. Like, you know, when somebody dies, they go somewhere, but we're not actually sure where. Well, we can be confident from the Word of God that both heaven and hell have geographic points in the universe. They are not ethereal, floating around, immaterial. They are geographic locations that can be visited. And uh, we've talked uh, a little bit uh, about that in this series. But I just want us to understand that uh, the, the subject of hell is a, is a very real place, and it's one that there's real consequences uh, for the way that uh, people decide to relate to God in this age uh, on earth. Just something that Jesus spoke about a lot. He spoke about the subject of hell uh, quite a bit. I'm going to give you just a few verses that just lines out of Jesus' mouth just from the book of Matthew. Uh, we could have picked any, picked any of the Gospels and gotten content. Uh, this isn't all the places that Jesus talked about it in Matthew. It's just a little sampling. My point here was to just show you how often that this subject came up out of the, even the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 5, 22. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Matthew 5, 29. It's better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 10, 28. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
And then the last one we'll look at out of the mouth of Jesus is Matthew 23, 33. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? This is a subject that Jesus talked about frequently. He would be talking and he would make sure to under, the, to, uh, the, his audience would understand the reality of this thing called hell. It wasn't like something he was just using to get people in line. He was actually out of great pastoral concern saying, please don't go there. I beg you, I know it's real and you will go there if you don't give your life to me and follow me. It's Jesus in the kindest mode of operation. He's saying, I beseech you, don't go there. It's a real place and it's eternal and the consequences are awful and you don't want it. And so Jesus talked about it frequently. And so the subject of hell was not something he shied away from. Well, what are some of the physical properties of hell? Now, I just gave you the the references here. You can go look up the verses on your own because my point tonight really is to talk about the subject of hell from the book of Revelation, but I just wanted to provide us with a little bit of landscape from some other passages as well. So these verses, I gave you the address, but I didn't quote the verse on the page. Some physical properties of hell. It was created. You can see that in Matthew 25, 41. It has a geographical location. I mentioned that already, but go look at Isaiah 14, 15. It's visitable. It's a place that can be visited. It has an entry gate. You know, ethereal places that aren't real don't have gates. Buildings have gates. Kingdoms have gates. Places have gates. And it has a very real physical description uh, in 2 Peter 2.4. I'd encourage you to go look at. If this is a subject that you're like a little rusty on, or maybe you're new to uh, your Bible on this particular point, I mean, it, it wouldn't be unusual for somebody to have been in the Lord for a while and never done a deep dive study on hell. I get that. But it's a subject that's in the Bible that serves a tremendous purpose, and it's one that Jesus didn't shy away from, and so it's one that we want to understand. Here's some other names for hell. Luke 16, it's called Hades. Proverbs 1, it's referred to as the pit. Uh, Isaiah 38, it's referred to as Sheol. So there's a number of other names. Now we're going to look into Revelation. So those were some other names from other places outside of Revelation. But now we're going to look at how much is revealed in Revelation because it's a shocking amount of content. We've actually got, I I haven't done a a, a line upon line study to be able to say if this statement is true or not, but I'll just say in the spirit of this statement, it's, it's in the right direction. There may well be more information in the book of Revelation about the subject of hell than everywhere else. There is a tremendous amount in uh, the book of Revelation. Again, don't quote me on that point, but at least it does get you thinking that direction while there's a lot of info. Revelation 9, 1 through 2, it's referred to as the abyss. Also in Revelation 9, 11, the abyss. Revelation uh, 11, 7, the abyss. 17, uh, verse 8, the abyss. Revelation 21, again, the abyss. This idea of this, this, the pit that was being described in uh, Isaiah, I believe it was Isaiah 38, and then also in the Proverbs uh, 1 that we read a minute ago. It's this piss, uh, this pit that's of this abyss that's so deep that just it, it's unbelievable in how like deep it is and how uh, abysmal it is. So this, this pit that goes down as deep as one can imagine into the depths of the earth, it's referred to as the abyss. 
And so uh, that's a term that is uh, found frequently in Revelation. Again, I think I just gave you five or six different examples. Now let's look at Hades. Again, these are all Revelation verses. So Revelation 1, 18, 6, 8, 20, verse 13, and then also again in uh, 20, 14 through 15, it's referred to as Hades. Now Hades is more the concept of its, of its fiery nature. Still talking about the same place, this same abyss, this same hell. But now it's talking about the subject of its, of its fieriness, of, its, uh, of it being a, you know, a furnace of a sort of that nature. Then we've got down uh, part C, the lake of fire. Now, we'll talk a little bit about this a little later in this session. I recognize that right now, hell is not the lake of fire. I recognize that that's an upgrade moment that it has, but it's still referring in the long-term sense to the concept of hell because we got to remember, in a million years, hell will only have been outside of the lake of fire for a short period of time. But for the majority of that million years, at least in, in uh, human years, but for the majority of that human years, the, uh, the subject of the abyss of hell, of Hades, will have been inside the lake of fire for the majority of that million years, a million years in the future from now. If I'm losing you there, just go look up the verses about the lake of fire later, and you'll see that it's a future reality. Also, the second death. And there's what, three verses there, maybe four, referring to, yeah, four different verses in the book of Revelation. Again, these are all quotes out of Revelation. This is a tremendous amount of Bible on the subject of hell in the end times book. So it, it seems that the Holy Spirit is trying to highlight the subject of hell in the final generation. Seems like the, the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation related to the way that the people of God are supposed to understand what's about to transition, in the way that the people of God are supposed to preach the gospel, in the way that the people of God are supposed to imagine their future and the future of those that refuse to repent. There is a significant emphasis on the subject of hell in the book of Revelation. And again, I, I'll say it this way, much of what you know about hell you don't know it, but you know it because of the book of Revelation. That's actually where much of your theology comes from. So tonight's session entitled The Doctrine of Hell, much of that in, in the broadest sense of what we know about the subject, it comes from this book. And it's a book that's very much tied into the, uh, the end time storyline. Of course, we know. The second death, that's another term that's referred to uh, talking about the greater subject of what hell is and what it will be in the future. Just a tremendous amount of information. Another four verses on that. All right, well, let's talk about uh, Roman numeral three, literal hell on earth, page four. Now, this is a subject that we've kind of touched on here and there as we've looked at some of the different impacts that are going to occur during the uh, Great Tribulation period. But I don't know that we've ever just out and said there is going to be a likening. There will be some significant overlap, some significant details that uh, are, are synonymous with and even um, deeply connected to hell on earth earth during the great tribulation period and beyond. So let's look at a few of these details. First of all, 
Revelation 9.20 tells us this. There is a worship movement at the end of the age of Satan. There is a, a satanic worship movement. There's a, they're going to worship the beast. They're going to worship the dragon. And it's going to be the majority of the earth. So while there is definitely going to be, and we're very much part of, a rising global worship movement for King Jesus, there is going to be an even bigger one numerically, an even bigger worship movement of Satan. That's a real problem. Because God has said that there is significant sovereignty in man. And what man wants, in many cases, in many ways, God will permit man to get what, what man wants. And man will be worshiping Satan and in essence saying, come Lord Satan, come. There is a worship movement that will rise that is a ushering in of Satan and his, his domain and his purposes, a celebration of the things of hell. You know, there is no such thing as Satan creating anything. He's not a creator, he's a distorter. So he only takes things that are already in place and then he corrupts them. So whatever it is that you would imagine, whatever wicked thing, it's simply a good thing corrupted because everything that God made was good. Satan is going to corrupt and corrupt and corrupt. He's going to take the agenda of hell and he's going to put it on every detail of human life. And once that's the case, there are several Bible verses that talk about the completeness of wickedness in the last generation. When you have got the completion of wickedness in any location, you would call that hell. <laughs> the fullness of evil, that is hell. And so while it won't geographically be hell, it's not like earth takes the place of you know, the pit or the abyss. Geographically, it's, it, there's still a distinction, but the reality of what hell is, there's gonna be a significant increase of hell on earth just by the very fact that the rest of mankind did not stop worshiping demons. There's gonna be such a movement of demon worship. And you know what happens when demons are permitted they're given a door, they're given an opening, they're given influence. What about when demons are worshiped? They're given even more influence. So you're talking about a generation that is gonna experience the greatest level of demonic influence, of uh, power, of deception, of agony and pain. I had a uh, really great uh, conversation with somebody this week and they said, hey, have you ever been in a situation where uh, you know, you were, uh, you were talking to somebody and, uh, and, and you felt something. And I was like, yeah, that's discernment of spirits. And they're like, yeah, it felt really heavy and bad. I go, yeah, you need to learn how to pray those things off because we're only going to see a continued measure of the increase of wickedness in our generation. We're going to need to become like really good at praying off demonic oppression because demonic oppression is only going to increase. I don't like that fact, but I'm not naive to it. There is only going to be an increase as people continue to worship demons. And we just have to understand right now, full on, all out, actual demon worship is very rare. It is going to grow like crazy in this generation. Think of the measure of wickedness that's happening right now with the little bit of demon worship that's happening. It's mostly participation, not worship. There's mostly demon participation from humans right now. But when demon worship goes from a one to a hundred, 
we're going to experience so much yuck and ick and getting slimed by stuff and oppressed. We are going to need to stand up and be the light in the midst of that darkness. All right, I took a little longer there than I wanted to, but moving on to part B. Another aspect of how there will be hell on earth, and I'm, I mean that in a, in a somewhat figurative way, but in so much of what is actually in hell, actually becoming on the earth at the same time, there really is an overlap. You, you'd call it the hell's annex. You know, uh, you know, uh, the the new subdivision of hell uh, is planet Earth during this period of time because we've got some tra- crazy things that are happening. Revelation nine two through three tells us that when the abyss is open, smoke will rise from it like the smoke of a gigantic furnace, and the sky and the sun will be darkened by the smoke of the abyss. I just want us to think about this for a second. The amount of smoke that would need to come from anything, a forest fire, an abyss, a whatever, a large fireworks display, the amount of smoke that would be required to black out the sun, it's described as the smoke of a gigantic furnace. But I want us to understand, this isn't smoke, it's smoke from hell. Smoke on earth is of one quality. Smoke from hell is of another order. The smoke that fills the earth that blacks out the sun isn't smoke from a forest fire. It's smoke that comes out of hell. So now hell smoke that used to be in hell and made hell bad, hell smoke came out of hell and is now on planet earth. What does that do to earth? It makes earth a little hellish. It's actually taking a significant uh, uh, bit of the properties of hell and putting it on the earth. The darkness that can be felt. Revelation 16, 10 through 11. And if you just want to make note, uh, you might want to go back and look at Exodus 10, 21. Exodus 10, 21 is the parallel plague in the book of Exodus when the Israelites are coming up out of Egypt. Uh, Most of the book of Revelation plagues are actually just parallels on a global scale with even more demonic activity of the judgments that we find in the Exodus when Israel was coming up out of Egypt. Well, in that plague, in the Egypt plague, it said that a darkness filled the land, and it said a darkness that can be felt is how its language, uh, the, how it's worded in, um, in Exodus 10.21. Well, here in Revelation 16, back to the book of Revelation, it says the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Its kingdom was plunged into darkness and people gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed God because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they'd done. I just want us to to recognize this for a second. There is a significant connection here between the kingdom being plunged into darkness and people gnawing their tongues. Why do you gnaw your tongue if you're having a good day? You gnaw your tongue if you're having a really bad day, but this gnawing of tongues in this particular verse is directly connected to the fact that the kingdom of the Antichrist, which is going to be the bulk of the earth, is plunged into darkness. It's the same darkness that can be felt that was described in Exodus 10. It's a darkness that can be felt. So now you're talking about a a real significant part of hell on earth. A darkness that fills the earth that can be felt that causes men to gnaw their tongues in agony. Hell gets a future upgrade. This is part D, top of page five. Revelation 20, verse 14. This is where I said we'd circle back a little bit. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. So here it's called the lake of fire, and it's called the second death. And what is it? Well, we're not going to go into all of that because we've got another session committed to that. But <clears throat> what we are going to say is death and Hades, or death and hell, are somehow gathered in like, imagine it's in God's hand. It's not exactly how this goes, but imagine it so that you can kind of get the picture. Death and Hades are gathered in God's hand, if you will, and thrown into an even worse place called the lake of fire. And it says, there they will remain forever. So the new designation of hell, the new experience of hell, the new forever reality of what hell is, is hell just got thrown into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is like hell times two or times a million. So that's the reason I'm connecting those dots because the future of hell is the lake of fire. It gets thrown into it. All right, attributes about hell. A place where demons are imprisoned. Just look at these verses. 1 Peter 3, 19. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. If you didn't know this, this is an important doctrinal detail. If you didn't know this, Jesus has been to hell. He went there on a preaching journey. He went there on a mission. He said, okay, I became sin on the cross and I died. I had to go to hell so that you don't have to. But while I'm there, I'm going to preach to spirits. And so Jesus, while in hell, was actually preaching to the demons that were there. It says to those that were imprisoned, imprisoned spirits. So what we're looking at right now is the concept of hell being a location where there are demons that are imprisoned. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness. He threw them into the abyss and he locked and sealed it over them to keep them from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. There it is again. It's a place where, uh, where Satan, uh, eventually, uh, well, Satan for the thousand years and the, uh, the two, um, the false prophet and the Antichrist have already been thrown into the lake of fire. So they're not in this uh, imprisonment, but Satan is imprisoned in the abyss for a thousand years because the abyss, hell, is a prison for spirits, including Satan, okay? Well, that's the concept of hell being a place of imprisonment. Remember, tonight's point, we're trying to develop theologically the doctrine of hell from the word. We're trying to see, what does the word say? Listen, I am really grateful for creative people. I think it's the coolest thing. I just don't like creative doctrines. I like creative in every other way. But creative doctrines are not what I'm into. I want to know what the Bible says. If the Bible says it, even if I don't like it, I have to believe it because it's the Bible. We don't get to make up our own theology. So it really doesn't matter what you think about hell if it's different than what the Bible says. We want to throw out what we think and go with the Bible. That's not just about hell. That's about everything. We want to be people that are committed to the word and that are true to it. And the reason I bring that up is because time and time again, we run into in our own souls and in, the, in our relationships and I'll have people ask me questions from time to time. They're asking me questions that are based off of what they're thinking, what they've been taught, what they were raised to believe, what they've always assumed, what they saw in the movies, instead of what the Bible says. And we don't want to have any loyalty to things we've heard 
if they're not in agreement with what the word of God says. In fact, we want to look at the other way. We want to go, we want to have complete loyalty to the word of God. And if it just so happens, something I think is in the Bible, good for you. You happen to believe one right thing on your own. Accidentally, I'm sure. Let's go with the word. And this is just a, right now we're in a generation that is trying to twist the Bible, get rid of the word of God, change its meaning. We just, there's no place for that. Those people are going to go to hell. There's no way. You can't, you can't make up your own version of Christianity and wind up in the right place. That's not how this works. And our version of Christianity isn't one we made up. It's one that we read up. We read in the word. And so the word of God is supreme. And it teaches us what is right and wrong. It teaches us about God's nature. It teaches us about doctrine like hell. So if it's in the word, we want to care about it. And we want to believe what the word says, not whatever we've, you know, had in our heart or thoughts. Listen, your heart is deceptive above all things. Please do not go with your heart. Your heart is a dummy. Okay, let's believe the word of God. That's the truth. The word of God that he gave us. All right. So first, it's a place of imprisonment. Second, it's a place of torment. I gave you a few verses there that talk about the subject of torment. It says, they will be tormented in the burning sulfur. Uh, Revelation 20 verse 10 says, they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. This subject of, the, of hell is a place of torment, not just imprisonment. Also a place of eternal burning, which is so intense. <clears throat> Matthew 18, 8, Jesus said, thrown into eternal fire. Eternal fire. You know, we love fires, but we're really glad they go out. You know, you make a campfire, it's great, but it would really be a problem if it would just burn forever and need to be supervised forever. That'd be a real problem. You know? You, we love fires, we love the warmth, we love the heat, but fires are destructive. Fires consume. This one never goes out. There's no quenching it. It is an eternal fire. And so the significant aspect of hell is the fiery nature of it. Also the demonic smoke. I'm just reminding you of that Revelation verse that we read. But look at this, just Revelation, or, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 9 also gives us some clue about this. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. Now, one other thing that we know about fire is it produces smoke. So every time you've got fire, it is producing smoke. And that smoke, if it's in the abyss, is trapped in there. It's trapped. So it's, it's a place of choking smoke. You know, they say that most people that die in fires don't die from the flames themselves, but from the inhalation of the smoke. Because it's, it, it'll kill you. It's not air. It's smoke. And so another uh, aspect of hell is that it's choking smoke. That it's thick and it's, it's, it's it just, you can't breathe. And it, it, everything, it's dark and painful. It's in your eyes. Another de uh, uh, aspect of hell, demonic smoke. A place of eternal darkness. <laughs> That's it's really intense. Look what it says. First uh, Samuel, a place of darkness. Jude talks about it as those that have been kept in darkness bound. Okay, so it's fire that somehow can burn but not give light, only create smoke, and you're still in darkness. You know, being able to see is a luxury. Being able to see is a pleasure. Being able to find your way around. Another dynamic of hell is that it's darkness. 
which is isolating and terrifying. Can you imagine just all the sounds and the, the horrors that are happening in hell? And it's described as a place of darkness. You can't even know what's happening over there. You can't even see it. It's horrifying. It's a very hopeless place as a result of all these details. You put all this together, it's gnarly. Isaiah 66 says, the worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched. They will be loathsome to all mankind. Luke 16 says similarly, a great chasm has been set in place so that those that want to go from here to you, uh, from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. This idea of the hopelessness of it, the lockedness of it, the the worms that are continually eating, but they don't die, and neither does the host that's being eaten by the worms. And the fire that's burning, but the flesh is never completely consumed. It's, it's like it's regenerating so it can keep burning. This is hopeless. This is the description of hell. See, it's really interesting, this experiment, this, this internship that we get to be in. Everybody gets to die once. Everybody gets to live one life and there's, there's three states of mankind, three, three uh, locations, if you will, three ways that we interact with God. We all start off on earth, and that is a training ground, a testing ground, and an internship. And we get to make our decisions about Jesus. We get to decide who is he in our life or who isn't he. We get to make that decision here, and we only get one life to do it, and then everyone winds up either in hell this description, or in heaven, and everybody that thinks that there was another choice finds themselves so wrong, trapped in that darkness forever, burning and worming forever. This is the most serious subject to human life. Who is Jesus? We've got to teach it. We've got to train our kids. We've got to train our minds that we would not give our minds a place to go, oh, but what if the word of God isn't true? That we wouldn't give ourselves even an inch of that doubt because those that go down that road, they're going to wind up in hell forever. And so Jesus makes sure the testimony of the scripture, the testimony of the Holy Spirit is the book of Revelation talks much about the subject of hell because it will be to a generation that will be the largest numeric generation in the history of the earth believed to be large enough to encompass all other human life in human history because of the growth and the, the expansion of humanity. Currently at 8 billion people, slated to be at 10 billion in what, 20 years or 30 we're in a generation that is the most important and the biggest generation. And so Jesus makes sure by the testimony of the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation to talk about hell much so that this generation would be thinking about it and carrying that in their hearts. When hell opens up, just a couple more minutes and then we'll break up into groups. The abyss is unlocked. That's unthinkable. Hell is going to get opened up. So we kind of mentioned this a minute ago, but I just want us to check on kind of the, the chronology of events here, specifically related to actual, literal hell having its door opened. It's never happened before, okay? Revelation 9 says a star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. The star's an angel. 
And when he opened the abyss, smoke came out of it. I just want us to check the chronology of events. Revelation 9 is when the door to hell is opened up on planet Earth. And for the first time, there's a connection point between Earth and hell. Okay, And hell starts coming up out of it in smoke and demons and everything else. It remains open until the millennium. So that happens in the book of Revelation. The millennium happens some maybe year and a half, two years later. That's about when it starts. Don't quote me on that time frame, but in that realm. It's not five years and it's not one. And in that time frame, we've got this crazy moment that occurs. Hell is left open, connected to the earth for months and months and months. So it's not that it opens for a moment. It's opened for months until the following situation occurs. Revelation 21 through 2. I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who's called the devil or Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. He binds him in the abyss and he uses the key and he locks it over him. So for that period of time, the abyss was open. But during that period of time, evil hordes come up out of hell. We know of two of them specifically, but I don't know that those are the only two things that climb up out of there. Those are the two things that we're told come out in mass. We're told about the, the two armies that come out in Revelation chapter 9. We're told about the army of the, uh, the locusts, and they're not locusts. They got woman's hair, and they got faces, and they sting, and they got a scorpion's hair. These aren't locusts. This is John going... It's like a locust, man, from hell. I don't know what to tell you. It was kind of like a locust, but it's a hell version, and it stings you, and you're hurting for five months, and you can't die. That's uh, demonic um, uh, legion one, or army one. The second is of these demon horsemen that come up. Those are the two we're told about. But hell is left open for months and months. What else happens? We don't know. It doesn't say. Next. Let's just remember, rather, last point, that Antichrist is going to come up out of that same pit. Look at this. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them, overpower and kill them. Revelation 17, 8, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss to go to his destruction. This is the kind of stuff that comes out of hell. Antichrists. This is the kind of stuff, these giant hordes. This, I just want us to recognize there's a significant level of impact between hell and earth in the end time drama that it's not an unfair statement to describe hell on earth during that period of time. Okay, we're going to break up into groups for discussion. How many groups we got tonight, Luke? Four groups of seven, eight. Four groups, seven, eight, and who are my group leaders? All right, Luke Cooper, why don't you stay there? Andy, can I get you to move over here? Who else I got? Caitlin's there. Was that the four? And Daniel. Oh, no. One, two, Luke, and who's the, the fourth? Caitlin. So, Caitlin, Caitlin, can you go there? Luke Fredenberg, come over here. Thank you. Okay, great. All right. All right. We're going to move to group questions now. Okay, uh, what I'll do is I'll repeat the questions so we've got those recorded uh, for those that watch this later or watch it online right now. Um, all right, we'll go ahead and start back here with you, Luke. <clears throat> so the question was, uh, 
in our reality of heaven, in our experience of heaven and eternity. Really, eternity is even better a way to say it than heaven because heaven is a very significant part of eternity. Um, in our experience of eternity, uh, for those that are uh, that go to be with the Lord, our experiences will only continue to grow. Our joys, our encounters, our relationships, things will only get sweeter and better. How is the flip, what does that look like related to uh, hell? And is that same kind of concept at play just in the opposite direction? Yes. 100% of humanity will receive a resurrected body, including everyone that goes to hell. Those that go to heaven receive a resurrected body in order to experience the environment of heaven to its fullness. Those that, that get a resurrected body and go to hell get a resurrected body so that it will never burn up and go away. A natural body would deteriorate and disappear. But a resurrected body won't. See, the resurrection is for all humanity because we were created in God's image. So all of humanity gets a resurrected body. Those in hell, however, they're going to get to experience more and more of hell. And, I mean, even the thought process of... Hades being thrown into the lake of fire in order to upgrade the experience in its badness. Who knows what other upgrade moments there are in the future that we're not even aware of. But, you know, one of the things, even just if we pick only on the subject of despair and hopelessness, the longer a person is hopeless, the greater that hopelessness is. So if you just pick on one aspect of hell, when somebody's been there for a week, it's bad, in just the area of hopelessness. But after they've been there for 10,000 years, that level of despair is even greater because they've got 10,000 years of proof. God meant it. I'm not getting out of here. So the, the increased experience of hell will be part of the torment. Uh, you know, even just thinking about the, the flesh burning, uh, if you've ever stubbed your toe, you know, like if you ever, any of you guys ever played sports and you got that one injury and you like just kept getting that same injury over and over and over again, if it wasn't detrimental, like, you know, you pulled, you know, some major muscle, but just some scrape, some something, callus on the hands, the same injury in a, in a small sense, it doesn't hurt after a while because you become callous to it. But in hell, it says they're going to keep burning. Well, that same level of burning that they experienced before, you just imagine wouldn't have the same impact after 100 years. You're like, well, I've been doing this for a while. I imagine the, the temperature gets turned up and everything else. I and mean, there's other things that will be happening. So, uh, so yes, the experience for those in hell will only continue to get worse in much the same way that the experience for those in eternity in heaven will get better. Uh, Luke, he's a forerunner. All right, so the question is, if the abyss gets opened up in Revelation 9, but we know that the Antichrist, who will be a real man, he will die and go to hell like the Christ did, okay? He will die and go to hell, and like the Christ, he will resurrect. He will resurrect up out of hell, out of the abyss, and it's at that point then that he takes off his mask figuratively, and he goes, hey, I'm, you know, I'm God, everybody has to worship me now. It's in that moment. It's the moment of his resurrection, kind of like the resurrection did for the believers when they saw Jesus. They're like, no, for real, you really are God. Like, you really are the Son of God. This is real. Well, the Antichrist is going to have his moment as well, and that's the start of the Great Tribulation, and that's really what causes the Great Tribulation and what causes God's response from heaven to bring the great tribulation against the Antichrist and the kingdom that he builds. 
So the question that Luke, at, Luke asked is, okay, so if the Antichrist goes to hell, uh, to the abyss, but he comes out of it before the door is unlocked in Revelation 9, how does that work? Well, same way that Jesus went. And the, the thought process here is that his, his spirit goes to hell. I mean, his body won't. The Antichrist, he's going to die, and people are going to see him dead, and they're going to go, oh, Jimmy's dead. Okay? It just so happens, though, that Jimmy's spirit goes to hell, and three days later resurrects, and I'm saying three days. I believe that. I don't know that that's exactly how that reads. Three days later, rises from the dead, and now he's, he's got all the power of hell with him. But it's his spirit that went, not his body. His body was still there. So the answer is, yeah, body, not, uh, or spirit, not body. Great question. Uh, Caitlin. Great. Yeah, great question. So um, short version, off of your short version, is uh, what are some of the things that we would typically associate with hell in, in the sense of the abyss, uh, the pit, Sheol, Hades? What are some things that we would typically associate with that reality of hell that in actuality are specific representations and overflow and, ex and description of the lake of fire. Well, the, uh, the, the subject of the lake of fire is, is a pretty elaborate one. I'll, I'll come back to that point in just a second. But most of the details that are related to what we think of when we think of the lake of fire are at play in Hades now. They're just not to the degree and to the infiniteness, infinity, inf infinity um, uh, of it. Because, because as we were reading, the description of Hades is that burning reality. It's, it's, that, it's, the, it's that, uh, you know, even the, the fire not ever going out, uh, all those verses and all the smoke that's there and that smoke got there because stuff was burning. So you've got a burning, tormenting, painful, hellish reality. What happens with the lake of fire? In all honesty, I think the most significant, and we, we have a session spent on this subject, uh, so you can, um, you know, look forward to that. But uh, the, I think that the greatest transition that actually occurs with relationship to when Hades, hell, the abyss, the pit is thrown into the lake of fire is the visibility on earth. Because what happens is the lake of fire has a physical representation over in Edom. That's Isaiah 34, I believe. And it describes the lake of fire in the millennium and beyond that is now a visible lake on the earth in, in a, a visible way that it's never been visible before. And it actually takes up and consumes a significant portion of the earth's surface. And that's never happened before. And that's uh, what's happening. So it's almost like God lights that lake of fire fire and then he throws Hades and, uh, and hell and, and death into it. Uh, and now it's a visual where hell had always been hidden away like heaven had always been hidden away. Everybody had always said, well, heaven's real, we think, but we've never seen it. Hell's real, we think, but we've never seen it. In the millennium, both heaven and hell are now, hell being like a fire at that point, are now fully visible. 
and and they're now part of the day-to-day experience whether you're on earth you know or in heaven or in hell you're able to see all of this in a very right there sort of a way so i think that the level of intensity goes up uh i think the the uh, an environment being described as a lake of fire is far more fire and and molten and liquid fire kind of a concept than the description of hell or Hades. But the descriptions of hell or Hades all include burning and fire, just not to the degree. So I don't know if that was super helpful, but it, I would just say degree is, is the biggest uh, point of it because even the finality of the lake of fire, and we all know what the book says. It's like, nope, once the lake of fire is here, hell's over. Now it's thrown into there. It got burnt up in the bigger problem, in the bigger fire. Even the finality of that is a statement and is, is a, a differentiation uh, because before it was still awaiting a future upgrade. So a great question. Yeah. Uh, worship team, you can come on up. So the question is in relationship to the subject of eternal rewards, where the Lord promises our activity in this age is going to be assessed and we're going to be judged according to everything that we say, everything that we do. And this isn't that, you know, your salvation is free. You can't work for your salvation. That's impossible. You'd never get there. But once you're saved, what you do matters in the age to come. Well, the question is, is there a reverse situation at oper- in operation related to hell? Because hell seems like it's got different areas and departments and levels. And, and even the whole fact that there's this smoke that's rising from the depths of the abyss. An abyss would mean deep, meaning deep, 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 and then also deep, deep, and then also deep, and then not so deep, and then closer to the surface, uh, and all these kind of concepts. I I think that there is some version of that, and that maybe even people have said there's a special place in hell for people like you, uh, that statements like that might not be so far off um, in relationship to the, the level of the torment and the experience. The Lord is very much about the, uh, about fairness, He's very much about fairness. And even those passages, many of them, the, the, the concept that, Dan, uh, that uh, Andy was bringing up related to the, uh, the subject of eternal rewards, it says, every deed will be judged. Every deed, every word will be judged. And then the, the indication in those passages on several of them isn't just eternal rewards, but eternal judgment in relationship to the judgment that will be received when, uh, when we wrap all this up and, and, uh, and the millennium begins. So, yeah, I think that actually I can't, you know, think of 10 verses off the top of my head, but I think that starting point would get you there on a little bit of a word study. Go back and look at some of the eternal rewards passages because a number of them also have that negative side uh, of promised reward as well, which would mean that merited evil of this category is rewarded this way and evil of a different category or amount is rewarded this way just like uh, the acts of righteousness so great good job guys okay well I'm going to pray and uh, as soon as I'm done praying if we can let's move the uh, chairs back around don't do it quite yet and uh, and then take your conversations into the lobby because we want to turn this back into our prayer room Father we thank you so much for your word that it is alive and active and it leads us into truth. We pray, God, as we do this study on the book of Revelation, that you would awaken. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.